Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found on the back of the bulletin or on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, as Paul talks about the church as one body. Hear the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Is that right? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care of one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. What does it mean to be human? Well, we know that we were created in the image of God. And so we are wired to manifest the qualities of God. And there are two key aspects of God that I want to talk about. The first is, as being in the image of God, we were designed for relationship. We're designed to be interconnected with one another. That's what it means to be human. Much as God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in intimate relationship, we were designed for relationship. And as God is a creator, we were designed to create. Work is not a four-letter word. There was work before the fall, the work of creating and producing. It's part of what we were designed to do as humans. You know, in the first vestiges of the penal system in the United States, they would take criminals and they'd basically lock them away. And they said, let's just isolate them and put them in their cell and let them out every now and then to let them, you know, uh, until they've done their time. But the problem was 
that there was no rehabilitation. Indeed, by isolating them, many of them went crazy. And additionally, by locking them up, by not giving them the opportunity to produce, to contribute, that also made them go crazy. Because we innately, by being human and in the image of God, have a desire to belong and a desire to contribute. Well, we see the effects of the fall on humanity, don't we? That the fall fractured humanity. That we now were divided, not unified. And we see that, right? All as we look around, whether the way countries interact with each other, the way races interact with each other. Families where siblings no longer speak to each other, and they haven't for decades. And work frustrates many of us, that we don't want to be a part of it. We don't want to produce. We don't feel like we're contributing anything. You see, God is in the business of working out the fall. God has created the church, a new humanity in Christ that consists of a new community of people. The church is not something that you go to once a week. It's something that we are, a new family, a spiritual family who is bonded together. To be a Christian is to belong. And it's also a place where we are to manifest the image of God, empowered by the Spirit, in working, in producing, in contributing with the spiritual gifts that God has given us to take our place in the family of God. We're designed to belong. We're designed to contribute. And as we look at the church in Corinth, we see that the world has crept into the church, that the class structure and that the, all of the prejudices are, are, they're experiencing that inside of the church. They're not valuing each other as family. And they're not valuing the contributions that each one has to give to the church. And that's what Paul is addressing in this passage. See, we must learn from them so we do not repeat their mistakes. God has not only made you valuable, he has made you invaluable. You have a specific part to play that only you can play in Christ's body, the church. And so take your place in his body. Well, how are we to do that? There are three things that we need to understand in order to do that. Number one, you need to understand that you are invaluable. You're not just valuable, you're invaluable. Number two, you need to not disqualify yourself because you don't feel like you have anything to offer. And then finally, number three, you need to not disqualify others by not thinking that they, uh, by thinking that they don't have anything to contribute. So let's look at these points. The first being, you are invaluable. In Corinth, there are these divisions in church. There's the thinking that of the world that there are certain people that are valuable and that there are certain people that are not. And so Paul addresses that. He's been talking about the church and he's been using these different analogies to describe the church. That the church is a field. That the church is a building. And now he looks at the church as a body. 
Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He's speaking of the church as a body, and notice he's saying that this body, the church, is synonymous with Christ. Ephesians 1.22 puts it this way, and God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As I said earlier, the church is not an association. It's not an institution. It's an organism. It's the body of Christ. It's not Christ, but it's his body. Now think of that as a, as a human being. Our, our body is how we express who we are. A human being is a spirit fused to a body. And so Jesus is referred to as the head of the body. But the body itself is alive. And the church is the fullness of him. That Jesus Christ fully dwells in his church. Well, how does that work? I mean, Jesus has a physical body, right? Remember in the resurrection, touch my hands, feel my side. How does he, how is the church his body? Jesus is in heaven, but he has sent his spirit to indwell his church, to be his mystical body. Notice in verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, when you became a Christian, Jesus came and through his Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. And he dwells in us individually. That when Christ was on that cross, we actually were baptized into his death and we rose again in him. In Christ, we are a new creation, each one of us. Remember last week, I talked about the fact that we were once a cockroach, but now we're a butterfly in the caterpillar stage. As such, there is now no condemnation for us because we each individually are new creations in Christ. But notice this, that by this one spirit, we were also baptized into one body. That Christ not only dwells in us individually, but he dwells in us together corporately. In Christ, we have not only been united to him, but we have been united to each other. Jesus has not only created a new me, he has created a new we, a new humanity. Whether before you were Jew or Greek, slave or free, he's washed away these barricades that separated and alienated us, and he's made us into one body. Romans 12.5 says that so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There is an indissoluble bond between you and me and you and you through Christ. See, that is the design of humanity, remember? To manifest the glory of God. The Israelites said the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
But this fragmentation destroyed this unity, but Christ is bringing us back together again. Ephesians 1.9, that he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Think of a body, a physical body. If you lose an organ, if you lose a kidney, for instance, in order to receive another organ from another donor, another person, if you get an organ from someone else, you will take uh, uh, organ uh, rejection chemicals for the rest of your life because your body instinctively knows that this does not belong in me. But that's exactly not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that in Christ, we have each received the same DNA. You know, in the beginning, kidney transplants would only be done between identical twins because the body would not reject the organ of the identical twin because it was the same DNA. That's what's going on with this church, the church invisible, that God has put us together and made us in such a way that we don't reject one another, but work together because we have one common source. Verse 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. See, here's what's neat about it. God is not only one, but God is three. Right? He's one God in three persons. And these three persons, even their names are showing their relationship with one another, right? God the Father. Well, he's a father because he has a son. And God the Son who has a place in the family, who has a father, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ. See, there's variation within the body. The body is unified, but it's not uniform. We're not all designed to be the same. That each one of us has been given the Spirit, but the way we manifest the Spirit the way the Spirit works in us is in different ways to manifest, manifest Christ. It's the only way it can work. Because the body has so many functions, so many tasks for it to do what it needs to do. I don't know if you're a fan of the symphony. If you've ever heard of Beethoven's, you know, heard Beethoven's classic work, Symphony Number no. 5. I was doing a little research on this. This is the kind of thing I do in my spare time. Do you know it takes 84 instruments to play Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5? You have, you need four timpani players in order to play Beethoven's Symphony. And in fact, one of the things unique about Beethoven's Symphony was the first time that a trombone, a piccolo, and a contrabassoon, whatever that is, were used in a symphony. You can't play Beethoven's symphony without a piccolo. You can't play it without a contrabassoon. And you cannot do church without you. See, one person alone, no matter how gifted, cannot play Beethoven's symphony or act a Shakespearean tragedy or compete against another team. The same is true in the church. 
It's never a solo performance. So you are not only invaluable to God, you are invaluable to God's body. God's vision for the world is bigger than us individually. I'm not just a Christian. I'm an indispensable part of the body of Christ. So do you get that? Do you recognize that there's only one that can play the role that you can play? Sometimes I can be so focused on myself that I don't see the bigger picture of how I fit into the body of Christ, that I have a place because God has not only made me valuable, he's made me invaluable. You have a specific part to play. So take your place in the symphony. Find your seat. Show up. It's time to play. This brings me to my second point, to not disqualify yourself. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. See, the Corinthians are looking down on one another. They think they're these specific gifts, and these are the most important. They're high visibility. And therefore, the other people whose gifts are not as good as theirs do not merit the same worth. See, we can see some roles in the church and, and look at ourselves and say, well, what I, I don't have the ability to do that or the giftedness to do that. What I have to offer is not valuable. But Paul is saying that we misjudge the way we value. We misjudge thinking other people's role is more important than mine. The foot is saying, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong. It's like it wants to disqualify itself. But that's not the way it works. God is saying to not have a poor attitude about the gifts and the role that God is calling you to, to not make them any less. We cannot choose, we can choose not to use our gifts, but we cannot choose to dis, uh, separate ourselves from the body, for God has joined us to the body and given us a specific role. Just like in verse 16, the ear, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And here is the reason why. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Think of how many things our bodies have to do to function every day. You wake up, right? Put on your shoes, put on your clothes. You know how many muscles it takes to do that? how your brain has to function, the number of electrical impulses to make that happen, eating your breakfast, the, the digestive system, all of the things that are going on, brushing your teeth, driving to work. You know, if you take away just a couple of these processes and you're done, you're dead. It doesn't work. Even though you don't see them, they are invaluable. Verse 18, but as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. See, God has arranged it. 
He knows what the body of Christ needs to function properly. He knows exactly what Redeemer Presbyterian needs to be the manifestation of his body in this community. And the body of Christ has a purpose to manifest Jesus. Everyone has a place and a role. For if all were a single member, verse 19, where would the body be? Think of all the things that the church as a body does. We worship, we fellowship, we learn, we serve, we encourage, we lament, we build, we send, we train, we disciple, we console, we feed, we clothe, we marry, we bury, we play together, we vacuum, we keep the books, we word process, we cook, we do art, we cut grass, we translate scriptures, we counsel. It goes on and on and on. Now, it's important that you understand that we don't judge our value on what we can do. Our value is on Christ. What you do in the body does not make you any more, any less special to God. What you do is a small part But being a part of that and doing your part adds up to a very big part. You know, if you were to ask a CEO of an American corporation, what do you do for work? They would say, I'm the CEO of uh, Sylvania, uh, an electronics company. But if you were to ask the CEO of the Sony Corporation in Japan what they do for work, he would say, I work for the Sony Corporation. He would not lead with his title. He would lead with the fact that he works for the Sony Corporation, whether he's the CEO or he is the janitor. See, in the same way, what do I do in the body of Christ? I'm I'm part of his body. Whether you're the voice, whether you are the pituitary gland, whether you are the pinky, it doesn't matter. We all have a part to play in the functioning of the body. So what's your role to play in the body? If your answer is, I don't know, you're missing out and we are missing out. The answer is clearly not, I can't do anything, for we all have a part to play. The scriptures show it clearly. So you have to seek it out. Many people think, well, you're the pastor. You're the orchestra conductor. That's not true. The Holy Spirit is the orchestra conductor. And I happen, I'm one of the guys in the chairs, right? Playing my part. It's the spirit that is the conductor. But you have to seek out the role. Maybe it's every Sunday I come and I encourage people. That's my role, to encourage people. Maybe it's to lament. I come alongside people who are suffering and I lament with them. I'm the guy that comes out and I pull out the microphones and I set up the screens. And when it's all done, I take them all down. I'm the one who vacuums the nursery, and make sure that I have teachers, that there are teachers there so our little ones can be taught. 
You know, you don't need a title to serve and do your part. You don't need permission. And we have many, many needs. Many that I don't even know. The point is that you are invaluable. So seek out your role. Play your part. God will lead you. You have something that we need as a body to manifest Jesus Christ. This brings me to my final point, to not disqualify others. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's interesting that he brings up here the, the eye and the head that are, he's referencing obliquely leadership roles in the church. These people who are powerful and influential in the church, who are saying to the hands and the feet, maybe those who are serving or laboring that I don't need you. You know, it's one thing to disqualify yourself. It's another thing for someone else to try to disqualify you, which is a heinous thing in the church of God. First of all, it's ridiculous. Imagine saying to your feet, I don't have any need of you anymore. You guys can take the day off. Go away, right? That's cutting off your nose to spite your face, isn't it? Additionally, notice it says that the eye cannot say to the hand. Cannot say means it's not your call. Christ has arranged the parts of the body. It is his call. And if God has called you here to be a member of this church, you have a role to play, and no one can disqualify you for that. But we don't do this, right? We don't say to somebody, look, I have no need of you. But maybe we can do this in a more subtle way. I don't like this other person in the church. So therefore, they don't have anything to offer me. Or they're different from me. Their background is different than me. So what is it that I can learn from them? Nothing. Or maybe we can take for granted the roles that people play. And we're not grateful. We complain all the time for the things that they're not doing, rather than being thankful for the things that they are. See, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. They seem to be weaker, but we've got to have them. Your thumb doesn't seem like a big deal until you lose it, right? Your big toe, how much does a big toe weigh? But that's the first thing they take out, right? Your thumb, you know, in the ancient days, your thumb and your big toe, because you, you can't move, you can't function, you can't fight without them. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Those with less honor, we bestow greater honor. You know, there are jobs and things that are done in this church. You never see the people who are doing it. It's behind the scenes. But without them, this church would crumble. They are the true heroes in this church. It's not me. Right? I get all the press. Pastor, that was a great sermon. Right? 
Yeah, well, without these other things, they're more important in the sense of honor that they should receive. Those that are unpresentable uh, are treated with greater modesty. You know what he's talking about? They're parts of our body that we keep hidden, right? But we don't treat them with less caution. We treat them with more. Their function may not be public, but they are essential to the body's survival. You know, we have people in the church that don't have it all together, that are intellectually disabled, or have a tremendous amount of emotional pain and have special needs. You know, there's a reason why maybe they can't get it all together. Because their role is to teach us how to love and how to be patient and how to grow in caring and coming alongside and sharing in suffering. Suffering. Why did God set it all up this way? Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, so that we would care for one another. It's in our caring for one another that we manifest the glory of Christ. See, we think church is about going out and doing something. But church is about being something. See, we think if everybody does our part, we can produce, we can do something great together. But it's not about what great things we can do together, though those are important. What's more important is about who we are together. Because church is not something we do. It's someone that we are. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, we demonstrate the person of Jesus Christ in how we suffer together and how we rejoice together and how we care for one another together. Paul finishes the last part of this in saying, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of, t- of tongues. He's speaking about different roles in the church. And it's interesting, he, he seems to value them. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. It seems that there's some sort of hierarchy. I thought all roles had the same importance. There are two things that he shows. That one, some rules, roles are more important. Their evaluation, though, is not in their visibility or flashiness, but rather in roles that build up the church. See, apostles, prophets, and teachers are administering the word of God, which is the food that edifies and builds up the church. Those three, we tend to look at the rest of these different gifts. All the rest, he doesn't, miracles isn't fourth, gifts of healing five, and so on. Everything else is in a, a mishmash there. He's making a point. And the point is that these roles, yes, they're more important. Maybe they're first in importance, but not first in status. Remember that the kingdom of God does not function in the same way as the principles of the world. To be great is to serve. And to be first is to be last. The role of pastor might be the most important role in the church, 
But I, Carlos, should be the most replaceable person in the church. In that next week, there's another person up here preaching the word of God to you. And that's good and fine because that role is important. But role does not equal status. We have these other gifts here that he talks about. They're not in a hierarchy. There's miracles, healing, helping, administrating. Administrating, actually, the the Greek, it's one who leads and pilots a ship is where it comes from. It's it's leadership. We think of administration more as from administrative gifts, but he's talking about leadership. And notice that he puts tongues last. Remember, that's really where a lot of this was coming up. The Corinthians were saying the person who speaks in tongues, they're the most important and the most spiritual in the church. He's saying it's just another gift. And indeed, if there's no one to interpret it, what is its value in edifying the church? Paul says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Not everybody plays those particular gifts. And then he finishes with this statement, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Higher, what do you mean, Paul? Higher in visibility? He's just gone over the fact that, no, it's, it's not, that's not what it's about. And furthermore, how does one strive for or eagerly desire something that can only be given? Is Paul saying or expecting people to try to attain gifts that they do not have? And the answer is no. That would make no sense. That would nullify the entire argument that he's just gone through. So what is it that Paul is talking about when he's talking about desiring the higher gifts? The way you know what he's talking about is the last part of that sentence. And and I will show you a still more excellent way. See, what Paul is talking about is not just gifts, but an, an entire way of life that far surpasses the claims attached to this or that grace gift. Christianity is not about gifts, but about a way of life that turns out to be the way of love. The more excellent way that Paul is going to launch into in 1 Corinthians 13. The higher gifts he's talking about is love, which takes these gifts, whichever ones that you've been given, and makes them more effective. Behind me is a stained glass window. It's a beautiful one, isn't it? Stained glass is kind of cool. It was before the church had PowerPoint, they had stained glass. And when you look at stained glass, if you get close to it, all of those lines are actually metal pieces that are the wire framework of all of these different pieces of glass that have been cut specifically to fit in that exact role with that specific color that when you put them together, it produces a picture, right? A beautiful picture of the church. But, you know, if you were to come in here late at night and you were to look at that stained glass window, it really wouldn't do a whole lot for you, right? What makes the stained glass window really come to life? It's light. It's the sun 
streaming through the glass that brings it to light and shows the varied beauty of the picture. See, we can have all the gifts in the world, all the different pieces, the piccolo, the contrabassoon, the four timpanis. But if we don't have love, a desire to serve one another, we just have a dark picture that no one can see. It's a way of life. So do you see it? Do you see that God has not only made you valuable, that through Christ, he's made you a new creation, that through the love in his heart, he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, that we would become new creations, that God has not only made you valuable, but he's made you invaluable, that you have a specific part to play, a specific sliver of glass as you interact with all the rest of the pieces in Christ's body, the church. So take your place. Find your place. Start doing whatever it is that God is calling you to do and be that we might manifest to one another the beauty and the glory of the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. What a beautiful picture and what a beautiful legacy that you have created not only a new me, God, but you have created a new we, a body, a family to belong to. And you call us to take up our specific place as we bring life to an aspect of the body of Christ. That as people look upon this church, it shines with your image. God, may we find out and seek out and play our part with your love so that you would be lifted up. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.